You're listening to CDS Paradigm. The only genre is music.
Hello, hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the first season of CBS Paradigm. I'm your host, bassist Christopher Dean Sullivan, and I'm so glad you tuned in to this particular episode. This episode is, of course, is going to be about the music of New Orleans, pretty much. Well, the whole episode, more than likely. <laughs> However, even though uh, Fat Tuesday, which is the translation for Mardi Gras, or Mardi Gras is the translation meaning Fat Tuesday in French. And um, we're going to just move on ahead, just playing this music that I just love so much. A lot of the music that we listen to, especially the popular music, uh, is based on the New Orleans second line beat. You mess around and put any music on in terms of popular music and play the second line beat in your head or you're a drummer, you play the second line beat, you see how well it fits. Anyway, that being said, I just want to let you know that uh, we're going to have a lot of fun doing this particular situation. There's a lot going on. Uh, the, what you, Who you just heard was um, Ellis Marcellus, uh, the Marcellus's father who plays piano. And the name of that piece was Dr. Jazz. And during the course of this episode, you're going to hear from uh, guitar player Wayne Boyd. Uh, he has a recording that came out a few years ago. And I would say he's the late Wayne Boyd. Uh, the brother made his transition a few years ago. However, he was a good friend of mine. And I've been wanting to play something by him for a long time. And I happened to locate his uh, recording called The New Orleans Sessions. So you're going to hear from him. You're going to hear from Dr. John Iko Iko. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's that which, which you would call a New Orleans standard. Um, you're going to hear from the Neville brothers. Well, actually, Aaron Neville. Uh, you're going to hear from Lou, Louis Armstrong, Satchmo, and his Dixieland 7 band. Uh, there's going to be a PRI, Public Radio International Report, on how the culture of Haiti, as well as New Orleans, are linked, and even how that even came about to be from eighteen from the 1800s, actually. Um, you're going to hear from Professor Longhair. There's a tune that a young lady from Pittsburgh, uh, she's, she's like my sister in spirit. She is my sister in spirit. And uh, we did a recording, and she recorded that tune, Seely's Blues, Miss Seely's Blues. I think you'll like it. Um, you're going to hear from Buckwheat Zydeco. You're going to hear from Earl King, who's a New, New Orleans artist as well. And then uh, George Benson just came out with a new recording. And we're going to talk about that and, and play a piece off of that. And it's based on uh, the tribute to um, the New Orleans music, actually. And then, of course, I'm going to be doing uh, some commentary, as usual. Uh, and we may finish out with the New Birth Brass Band. Who knows what we're going to finish out with? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to continue moving on. And what I'm going to do right now is keep the music happening. I want to play this particular piece by Wayne Boyd. Uh, on this particular piece, it is uh, from his um, 
New Orleans Sessions report. I mean, uh, report. <laughs> Recording. So uh, check it out and sit back. And let's keep this thing called Mardi Gras happening. Real quick, I just want to let you know that when it comes to music, it's always Mardi Gras. Music is just a happy thing. I don't care what it is. It could be the blues. And the blues, you have all types. I don't have no money blues. I have too much money blues. My lady done left me blues. I'm glad my lady done left me blues. And of course, when a lady is singing it, it's the other way around. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Wayne Boyd, titled River Bend Shuffle.
Wayne Boyd. Yeah, swinging, swinging the blues. He calls that recording, his album is called The New Orleans Sessions. And uh, on that, you'll hear, as a matter of fact, it's really interesting because uh, two of these guys I know of, uh, Hurley, Herlin Riley on drums, who is also on drums playing with uh, Ellis Marcellus that you heard at the top of the show. And uh, you have Richard Knox on organ, Jerry Jumonville on alto saxophone. And of course, Wayne is playing guitar. Wayne also sings. Well, you know, he was with us. He was a singing, oh my gosh, this guy would be something else. And he also was part of the Soul Survivors, which was the Jimmy McGriff and uh, uh, ensemble. So, uh, yeah, that was Wayne. And uh, we're going to keep this thing moving. I don't want to talk too much, only because I don't spoke enough. All right, so our next one coming up I'm going to play is uh, Dr. John. I think I'm going to play some Dr. John. We're going to hear some Ico Ico. Check it out.
You know what it means to miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day. I know I'm not wrong. The feeling's getting stronger the longer I stay away. Miss the moss-covered vines, the tall sugar pines, where mockingbirds used to sing. I'd like to see the lazy Mississippi a hurrying in to spring Oh, the mighty cross the memories of Creole's tunes that fill the air I dream of old yanders in June and soon I'm wishing that I were there Do know what it means to miss New Orleans when that's where you left your heart there's something more I miss the one I care for more than I miss New Orleans Dixieland 7. That recording, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? To miss New Orleans. I've played in New Orleans quite a few times and uh, I do miss it. So yes, I know what it means to miss New Orleans. That recording was done in 1946, I believe. Yes, 1946. And it was on RCA Victor. It was a single, actually, recorded as a single. Uh, on that recording, you heard Kit Ori on trombone, Barney Bigard on clarinet. You heard Charlie Beal on piano, Bud Scott on guitar, Red Callender on bass, and Minor Hall played drums. And, of course, the one and only Satchmo, Mr. Louis Armstrong. I should say Master Louis Armstrong. Yes. So that being said, uh, we're going to continue moving on. 
I trust you're enjoying the show thus far. I know I'm having a ball. That's, uh, you know, you're having half as much fun as I'm having. That means I'm having twice as much fun. Anyway, <laughs> now this. And you are listening to CDS Paradigm. The only genre is music. According to popular belief, Mardi Gras, which is French for Fat Tuesday, actually is a tradition to have this. It would be the last opportunity. Fat Tuesday would be the last opportunity to eat rich meat before you would, uh, or rich foods. Um, of course, rich foods would mean eating meat uh, before the Lent season, which generally lasts, or it lasts 40 days. Uh, it's also related to celebrations in other places, which is called carnivals or carnivals, which means meat and farewell. Uh, and so therefore you would eat, your, eat whatever meat you're going to eat or fatty foods, so to speak. Um, and, uh, after you do that on Fat Tuesday or at the end of Carnival, that would be the last time before you go into your abstinence of eating rich foods, which now puts you into the season of Lent. And you would have to be fasting for that 40 days. So that just tells me, of course, and, you know, which basically comes down to, Every conviction has its fast period. And that's where we are. March, from March uh, at, on the last Tuesday of um, Mardi Gras or Carnival, you would uh, fast from that point all the way through uh, end of April. <laughs> something of that nature. However, that doesn't mean you won't be eating. Of course not. That you know, you just you're eating. You're eating more healthy. And you know, once you do that, of course, you want to do what you can do to keep going. For some of us, we mess around and we'll go ahead and we we'll eat healthy for that forty days or thirty days or twenty days, whatever how many days we can stand it. And then we go back to eating the stuff that we always eat. You know, stop over there at those fast food joints. They're not giving me sponsorship money, so I can't mention their names. You know who I'm talking about. You know. <laughs> Baby, my time is too expensive And I'm not a little boy If you are serious Don't play with my heart it makes me furious But if you want me to love you Then a baby I will Girl you know I will 
Like it is. You know, that tune was recorded back in 1966. I remember it. Oops. I think I'm letting folks know about my age. Hmm. And, and I started playing bass, actually, during that particular time period. I think I started playing the bass maybe two years, three years prior to this tune coming out. However, when the tune came out, I was just like into it. That was one of my favorite tunes. And what I dug about it um, is Aaron's voice. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I, I quit. Anyway, the, he um, uh, just had such a resonance as you can, resonance? Resonance. Resonance that you heard on the um, on this particular recording. And on this recording, you heard uh, Willie T playing piano, Deacon John Moore playing guitar, Emory Thomas playing trumpet, Alvin Red Tyler playing tenor saxophone, George Davis playing the electric bass, and there was another bass player, and it sounded like he was bowing, but it was acoustic bassist, Chuck Beatty. And then you have Albert June Gardner, uh, on drums, and Tammy Lynn doing background vocals with him. During the course of these episodes, I am going to play some Neville Brothers, as a matter of fact, you know, with, you know, within the next few episodes or so. You never know when. You never know. Anyway, tell it like it is. Aaron Neville. I enjoyed that one. Now this. And you are listening to CDS Paradigm. The only genre is music. This next tune I'm going to play is a song that was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Music 
in a movie, and the name of the movie is The Color Purple, which was a 1985 movie. Anyone that hasn't seen The Color Purple, I suggest check it out. You know, look it up, you get an opportunity, you know, rent it, whatever you have to do, check it out. It has some historical connotations to it. And I'm saying that to everyone, all right? Uh, the tune was written by Quincy Jones and Rod Temperton. And between the two of them and Lionel Richie, they came up with the lyrics of this particular song. So this, what I'm going to do is play this song. And the song is being sang by a young lady that I call and consider my sister in spirit. I've been knowing her for years, years. And she's out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I want to thank uh, Dr. Jacqueline Young, who suggested that I play this tune. She heard Patty sing this song, and she always appreciated how Patty approached the, the particular tune. And it fits. It fits within what we're playing today, actually. And um, I just want to, again, I want to thank Dr. Young for making the suggestion. And Dr. Young is also, she's the director of the Jazz Workshop Incorporated, 46 year organization that teaches children uh, music lessons and as well as other things, character development. I mean, he gets into a lot of um, aspects of the growth of youth within the community. And also it has a big band. I get a chance, I write big band charts. So I get a chance whenever I go to Pittsburgh, you know, to uh, visit with Dr. Young as well as, um, uh, you know, my family, I'm able to, you know, be at the jazz workshop and do the things that I like to do, which is get an opportunity to hear the arrangements I write. So by that, I get again, I thank you, Dr. Young, for suggesting that I play Miss Seeley's Blues by Pate Terrell. Miss Seeley's Blues. Miss Pate Terrell. Check it out. Oh, 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 oh,
And I've seen a lot of sun coming down Oh, but trust me No low life is gonna wrap me around So let me tell you something, sister Terrell, she pronounced it Pate Terrell, doing Miss Seely's Blues. I, that was a fun session, actually. I'm playing bass on that, as a matter of fact. Um, Richard Wiggins is playing piano. 
Jody Sumter is playing drums. Eric Johnson, who's playing guitar, very good friend of mine. And actually, I'm going to be playing some of his music in future episodes as well. However, he's featured on that situation. And he is such a consummate guitar player. I mean, his his approach, his style is one that would be reminiscent of Wes Montgomery, Grant Green, uh, Kenny Burrell. And and he's he's just he, he just moves and moves. I remember we both went to high school together in Westinghouse High School in Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, when he graduated, right after he graduated from high school, I graduated a couple of years before he did. However, when he graduated from high school, he was out. He was gone. And uh, Brother Jack McDuff picked him up. And from there, Eric got an opportunity to play with... uh, Many folks at that particular point, Ramsey Lewis, Stanley Turrentine, and I mean some stints with them, not just, you know, sitting in. I mean, he was actually performing, working, making a living at doing what he was doing from that particular point. And I, and, and I have to tell you, to play some of his music on this show was, is, is just, it's just a pleasure to be able to do that. And so therefore, but, um, but again, that's, that's for another show when I'll talk about Eric on a more extensive level. Um, Patty Terrell doing Miss Seeley's Blues. Uh, that was recorded on her demo. And she, I guess, is going to be coming out sometime within the near future uh, entitled Simply Patty. All right. Right after Patty Terrell was Professor Longhair doing the tune Tipitina. That's really interesting about that particular tune because uh, the tune came, I mean, the album came out, New Orleans Piano, in 1972 on Atlantic. Uh, However, the tune was recorded in New Orleans in 1953. (laughs) So it was a long time before the tune actually was made public, I guess. Um, Anyway, on that, you hear... Professor Longhair singing and playing piano. And you have Edgar Blanchard playing bass, Earl Palmer playing drums, Lee Allen playing tenor sax, and Alvin Red Tyler playing the baritone sax. That's a beautiful thing, I'm going to tell you. It's, uh, I, I really enjoyed both of those, and I trust you did as well. In the early 19th century, Around, I believe it was like 1809 when the uh, Haitian Revolution ended and Haiti became independent. Thousands of blacks, whites, enslaved people fled to New Orleans, doubling the city's population in just a few months. Today, many of the New Orleans, black and white, trace their ancestral roots to Haiti. Now, I'm saying this because uh, there is a correlation between the Haitian culture, food, its history, and New Orleans development culture, developmental culture, um, and how relevant this whole thing is when it comes to the music and the food and its attitude and its sense of oneness, so to speak, in in, uh, during the course of its development during the 19th century. So there's a 
I have a PRI, uh, which is Public Radio International, report on exactly what it is I'm speaking about here. So I want you to just check this out. And um, again, if you have any comments about it, anything of that nature, want to add to it, want to distract from it, you can always email me at Christopher Dean Sullivan, D-E-A-N, Christopher Dean Sullivan at gmail.com. All right, check this out. This next story is all about people and cultures crossing borders, a perfect fit for a show called The World. It's about the ties that bind a southern U.S. city, New Orleans, and the nation of Haiti. Lane Kaplan-Levinson of WWNO has been exploring this. Her hour-long radio documentary on Haiti and New Orleans airs on the station today. It starts with a man named Vladimir Laborde. He's a Haitian businessman who lives in Port-au-Prince, but spent part of his childhood in New Orleans. And it really sets the tone for the rest of the documentary. The connection in New Orleans is all around you, right? It's in the music, it's in the food, it's in the culture with the carnival. When people get married, when people are put to rest, when they die. There's no denying it. I mean, you know, we're, we're kin. Could try to deny it, but, you know, history would prove you otherwise. He says New Orleans and Haiti are kin. Lane, where do you see that kinship between Haiti and New Orleans? Is it in the food, the culture, the architecture? Yeah, it's really in all of those things. If you look at so many parts of culture in New Orleans, all the things you just mentioned, food, you know, people that know anything about New Orleans food know that there's red beans and rice, that there's jambalaya. A lot of these types of dishes actually do come from Haiti. Similarly with the architecture, you know, New Orleans is famous for shotgun houses and Creole cottages that you see in the French Quarter. And all of that is also the same type of architecture that you'll find if you go travel to Haiti. Is the relationship between New Orleans and Haiti discussed a lot in New Orleans? It is amongst a certain crowd, I would say. You know, there's so many people in New Orleans, native New Orleanians, that are descendants of Haiti. And so they know that that's, you know, where they come from. And so there are lots of people that are digging back into their roots and talking about this connection. And then on the cultural end, musicians that play all different types of New Orleans music, brass music, jazz music. They know that a lot of those rhythms come and originate from Haiti. So they're talking about it in the music and in the arts. So sometimes it's a personal thing and sometimes it's about, you know, someone's livelihood. Let's listen to a section of the documentary where you talk about how the Haitian community got to New Orleans in the first place. You say it started with people fleeing the Haitian Revolution at the turn of the 19th century. The Haitian Revolution is the only successful rebellion by enslaved people in the Americas. And when it ended and Haiti became independent, thousands of white, free black and enslaved people fled or were forced from the island. Most went to New Orleans and Cuba. Then, a few years later, those same Haitian refugees that went to Cuba were expelled from Cuba, so they also came to New Orleans. This was 1809, when 10,000 Haitians arrived and doubled the population of the city. Doubled. This is partly why so many New Orleans families today are people of Haitian descent, and why a Creole culture, born from African and European ancestry, define both places and bind them together. I want to talk about a point you bring up later in the documentary. You say all of these Haitian refugees arrived in New Orleans at an opportune time for reshaping the city. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so in the early 1800s, at the turn of the 19th century, New Orleans had been a city for about 100 years at that point. 
But right at that time, the city suffered two massive fires. And so most of the buildings, I believe 80 percent of the buildings burned in the late, late 1700s. And so in a lot of ways, it felt like a new city because the city was rebuilding itself. At the same time, while the city was physically rebuilding itself, the Louisiana Purchase happened. And so this territory, New Orleans, part of Louisiana, went from being a French territory to becoming a part of the United States. And so all of that type of Americanization was happening. And so it became this really opportune time to influence how the city panned out. I know you traveled to Haiti to figure out if there's a reciprocal influence of New Orleans on Haiti. What did you find? It's really interesting. If I talked to a random person that I approached on the street and asked them if they knew about New Orleans or had ever heard of New Orleans, most people said no. Most people thought that I was saying New York, actually. And I would say, no, New Orleans. Have you heard of New Orleans? And they would say, oh, no, you know, sorry, I have not heard of that. If I talked to professors or architects or geographers or historians, they definitely knew about New Orleans and about the influence that Haiti had on New Orleans. And I would say that for the most part, they don't think that New Orleans had you know, much of an influence in Haiti, but they are definitely interested in a, a revived connection today. Remind us where the Haitian diaspora is today. So even though so many Haitian people fled after the revolution and went to New Orleans in the early, early 1800s, Today, if you look at a list of the top 10 cities in the United States with the highest Haitian population, New Orleans is not even on that top 10 list. The first is Miami by a lot. It really has the highest, highest Haitian population in the United States, which started happening in the mid to late 20th century. And then you have New York and Boston as a third. So those are the three big cities, followed by some cities in California like Los Angeles. And New Orleans hasn't seen a high Haitian population for most of the 20th century. Lane, when you were in Haiti and you realized that most Haitians didn't really know about New Orleans, how did you feel? I felt, I I would say I didn't feel completely surprised. You know, part of my decision to travel to Haiti to ask that very question was in some ways to put in check the claim that New Orleans makes towards this connection and towards this relationship, because so much of what I heard in New Orleans doing a history podcast about New Orleans was all about Haiti and about the Haitian influence. And so that's what really made me wonder, is this a reciprocal mutual feeling? If I traveled to Haiti and I said, hey, is New Orleans your sister city? Are we a sister territory? Do you talk about us? I I really wasn't sure what they were going to say. And so when they said no, you know, it made me want to really examine why New Orleans does draw these connections and find out more about why people in Haiti do not. You bring up an interesting point in your documentary. You say that a lot of people in New Orleans feel an emotional connection to their Haitian roots or they feel nostalgia for a fantasy of Haiti that they might have in their minds, but they've never actually visited Haiti and they don't know really much about it today. Does that strike you as problematic or or does it strike Haitians as problematic? I think for the most part, when I spoke to Haitians about that, and many of them brought it up to me, it is seen as as problematic. I think New Orleans, rightfully so in a lot of ways, you know, really sees itself 
almost more as part of the Caribbean than part of the United States. And, you know, it's a tropical place. And we do have all of these similarities, even when it comes to climate and natural disaster, uh, but also in, you know, all different types of beautiful elements when it comes to music and food and architecture and visual art. And so we like to associate ourselves with the the positive and even almost exotic elements of this Caribbean nature. But I think what I heard from folks in Haiti is that's great, but you know, what 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 does that do for us type of thing? You know, if you if you want to really talk about how we're we're related in some sense, let's actually be let's let's create some formal exchange. Lane Kaplan Levinson's documentary, Haiti in New Orleans, is the feeling mutual. It airs today on WWNO in New Orleans. Lane, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Very interesting report. Uh, you know, as I have listened to this report, I found myself, uh, you know, asking that same question, you know, is for the relationship of, um, in terms of its com- comparison of the Mardi Gras, the carnival, the, the food, the language, languages, the various dialects, uh, is very much synonymous with the Haitian diaspora, and, and as well as the history. And, you know, of course, over generations, you know, things spread out, and before you know it, it's all about being American. And, you know, you find, you find any of us find ourselves in various parts of the country as opposed to um, where the origin of the landing that uh, took place originally and within, within the country. So, you know, that being said, I definitely want to thank uh, PRI's report uh, on, in regards to, you know, putting, shedding some light on what that is. However, that does not negate where the music derived from. It does not negate that at all. New Orleans is the birthplace of our American world music genre. If we want to call it a genre, I call it the American world music direction. And so therefore, it's all about the music. It's all about the sound, the vibration. And of course, you know, the culture of it all is just as relevant. That said, I want to play this next tune. And on this next tune I'm going to play is a tune that was um, done by Earl King. Tune entitled, No City Like New Orleans. Check it out. Who do you mean? 
City like New Orleans. Earl playing guitar and vocalizing on that. You know, uh, that, that's uh, such soulful stuff that goes on with this. And right after that, you heard the New Birth Brass Band on Smoke That Fire. The New Birth Brass Band. They sound good in the manager. Smoke that fire. Give me that fire. Because the dog ain't got no bone. 
Ooh, not, not. Okay, all right, all right. I let it go. Okay, okay. <laughs> you don't mess around and give that dog a bone, you could end up being the meat. Maybe. Depends on whose dog it is. Don't ever take a dog's bone away. That's all I can say. Now this. You're listening to CDS Paradigm. The only genre is music. You know, it's getting closer to that time. That time where I say good night, good day, good morning, good 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. What is that time anyway? I know 12 o'clock a.m. is midnight. And then all the way through 6 in the morning, and then, of course, all the way through the next 12 o'clock a.m. is the next day. However, is there a name for that time of darkness on the East Coast from 12? I'm not going to talk about you folks on the West Coast, you know, because no matter what the case is, by the time we reach midnight, you're still at, you're only at nine o'clock. So, you know, you, you're still in the same day. We're in the next day already. You know, which means we're up ready to go to work. And we'll work uh, anyway. I, I don't. I'm not. It's not an East Coast West Coast conference. Uh, uh, what's that thing called? Competition. That's the word. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. I like the fact that you're tuning in as well. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, uh, it's getting that time. However, before I close this thing out, I have to play this. I have to. Uh, this is George Benson's latest recording, and it's on Provoke, 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 yes, uh, Records, which is a record label out of Europe. It's a European record label, and um, George is doing a great job on this, and I found that, I find that this particular tune is apropos for this episode that's being played, you know, which we're in our seventh episode in our first season. So that being said, the name of the tune is Nadine, Is It You? The name of the album is Walking to New Orleans. And uh, what the album is about is remembering Chuck Berry and Fats Domino. It's paying homage to these two. And I believe that the whole album is about that. Now, I'm playing this because I already know it's on YouTube. So, you know, this is a sneak preview, so to speak, of what the album is about. And uh, it's not due out until April, actually. And I believe it's mid-April when it's due out, maybe. Might be the first week of April. However, I know it's due out in April, the whole album. And you'll be able to get it on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, uh, Deezer, and there's probably other formats that you can possibly download it on. Uh, anyway, and I believe it will be available strictly on download. Maybe, you know, no matter what the case is, you can always contact the record company, which is Provoke, um, and they'll you know, they'll be able to direct you in what has to be done to actually receive the CD. I believe I did see where. Uh, it will also be um, available in CD format as well. So anyway, uh, this is George Benson, Pittsburgh, my brother, my Pittsburgh brother, uh, doing his and doing his uh, latest recording due out in April, called "Nadine, Is It You?" 
The name of the album, Walking to New Orleans. Check it out. You're going to enjoy this. I thought I saw my future bride walking up the street I shouted to the driver, hey conductor, you must slow down I think I see her, please let me off this bus Maybe, honey, is that you? Oh, lady, honey, is that you? Seems like every time I see you, darling, you got something else
now you see why I like that tune so much. I like what George is doing on it, singing and playing the guitar like George plays the guitar. You know, there's, there's in my feeling, and that's probably because I'm partial, because he's from Pittsburgh, and, uh, the, and regardless of my partiality, uh, he's always been a fine musician as well as a fine vocalist. I mean, it's, you know, he's, I've seen, when I was out in California, I got a chance to see a couple of his concerts. And it was, um, it was just a pleasure to be around him, hang with him a little bit, and, uh, you know, continue moving it forward. You know, George, George is one of my favorites, no doubt. All right, so it's that time. Oh, and I just want to say thanks, George, for that. This was great for this particular episode. Appreciate you. Anyway, um, that's it for this episode. I'm going to play one more tune. This is by Buckwheat Zydeco. And uh, I just want to finish off with him because I dig that whole accordion thing. And I've always liked uh, Buckwheat Zydeco's direction and, and uh, his approach on this particular music, you know, that Zydeco music. And it's really interesting because his he uses the handle Buckwheat Zydeco, and the music he plays is called Zydeco. <laughs> so it's it's like it's just a groove to me, right? So anyway, we're gonna play this particular piece, and um, we're gonna close out with him, and then I'll be back right after Buckwheat. And the name of the piece is Hot Tamale Baby. <laughs>
Stanley, Buckwheat Durrell, playing that tune, Hot Tamale Baby. Accordion, vocals, Buckwheat Zydeco was something else, or is something else, will always be something else when it came to that Zydeco direction. And just so you know, that whole Zydeco music actually evolved in the Southwest Louisiana by the French Creole speakers. And uh, it actually blend uh, blues and rhythm and blues, you know, and it's basically, it's an indigenous to the Louisiana Creole people and native people of Louisiana. So, you know, and it kind of, and actually it's got it, it received its origins from the Cajun music of Louisiana. And, you know, when you blend those two together, you end up with this uh, sound that is just native to Louisiana more than any other sound, actually, as far as that music is concerned. And and uh, you know, and actually, it influenced it actually influenced each other to come up with um, the sound that you hear when it comes to, or even the direction that you that you feel when it comes to Louisiana music. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to just put that out there, a little bit of information that I just happened to just know. It's always a beautiful thing to share, right? Anyway, uh, again, Buckwheat Zydeco, Hot Tamale Baby. Well, it's that time of day, that time of night, that time of morning, that time of evening, whatever time you're listening to this. I appreciate you tuning in. We have to bid adieu. Why? because we've been on the air for a little over an hour. <laughs> However, I could probably be on here even longer, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just about that time is what it comes down to. Everything is about time, right? So that being the case, we say peace and uh, make your life the subject of intense inquiry. In this way, you may discover its goals, direction, and destiny. Also, whatever you do, please do it with peace at the top of your agenda. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, y'all, peace. And you are listening to CDS Paradigm. The only genre is music.